We're so glad that you are here today. Welcome. My name is Mike, and um, I have the great privilege of being one of the pastors here on staff. I want to read to you from one of the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. On the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. The spices were to prepare the body for a longer burial. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And so we... Just for the record, we are big fans of Peeps and Chocolate Bunnies, but we think there's something a bit more worthy of celebration today. This resurrection that the scripture writers talk about wasn't uh, a resuscitation of a dead guy so that he was alive again and then he died later. It wasn't that, that Jesus was kind of kept alive as they remembered them uh, is re- they remembered him in their hearts, right? Sometimes we see that at funerals. They're still with us if we remember them. Now, the resurrection was very specific. It was very physical. For the Jews of the day, resurrection meant a physically dead body had turned into a physically alive body. And a lot of the appearances that Jesus made after his resurrection were kind of odd. I mean, sometimes they didn't recognize him. At least one of his followers thought he was the gardener at some point. And, and this one, I think, just it blows my mind. It's, it's kind of funny. While the disciples, so this is his closest group of followers. While the disciples were talking about all of this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. But Jesus said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? Because evidently dying, conquering hell and rising from the dead can work up quite an appetite. And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, the reason these sorts of details are added was because, and it's really important to understand this, that resurrection wasn't the resuscitation of a corpse that would die later. Resurrection was a physically dead body turning into a physically alive body and never dying again. And that is, the, that is what is being taught and expressed when you have Jesus walking around saying, hey, see, touch him eating. He was fully physical. Now, it was a different kind of physicalness because he could kind of show up in the middle of locked doors and our locked rooms. And sometimes his disciples didn't recognize him. But the point and the announcement the scripture makes is that resurrection is different than just Jesus having, you know, a warm, fuzzy feeling because he's alive in our hearts. It was no, what was physically dead is now physically alive. And it becomes the centerpiece of the Christian faith. There's a writer named Paul. I'm going to quote him a lot this morning. Paul was a missionary. He was a church planner. And what Paul did 
Paul would plant churches and he would write letters to them. Much of our New Testament are just letters written by Paul to these various churches. And in one of them, he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And then he quotes an early creed or, or almost a hymn of faith. And he says, this is of first importance. This is central. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve apostles. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And fallen asleep is a very Jewish way to talk about dying. And so to the this, this centerpiece, Paul says in this big letter, he says, listen, I just want to remind you of the centerpiece of the whole thing. On a Friday, Jesus was crucified. And that crucifixion wasn't arbitrary or random. That crucifixion was according to the scriptures. The story had been building to this moment when God himself would pay the price for the evil, the sin, the transgression in the world. And that on Saturday, that physical body that had been Jesus's, that was dead and buried. And on a Sunday, that physical body was resurrected. And Paul says this is significant later on in the same chapter. He says this is significant. Why? Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And he says the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. Now, I know we're huge fans of agriculture and the concept of first fruits is immediately understood. But just in case you aren't, the first fruits of a crop, it was the earliest and usually the best part of a greater harvest that was coming. It was the first evidence that it was harvest time. And it was the assurance that more was coming down the road. And so Paul takes this image of Jesus's resurrection and he says, that's the first fruits of what's coming. Now, to make sense of that, you have to understand the big biblical story because the biblical story, the first sentence of the Bible in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he nestles human persons into a garden and he dwells there with them. Now, the end of the story, contrary to what is commonly thought, doesn't involve you and I with wings floating somewhere up there playing harp music for eternity. The end of the story is of God creating a new heavens and a new earth and dwelling with his people who are given resurrected and perishable bodies just like Jesus's body. They dwell with him in a new heavens and a new earth forever with bodies, with their God. And so the beginning of the story is God, the heavens and the earth dwelling with people. The end of the story, God's new heaven, new earth dwelling with people. And what Paul is saying is that this new creation, this resurrected body of Jesus is a bit of the future new creation that's bursting forth right in the middle of this one. That what God intends to do for everything he did with Jesus right in the middle of this world. Now, you don't seem very impressed by that. So let me break it down uh, using some, uh, some imagery that won't be particularly relevant uh, to us baking in this heat. I grew up in the great state of Ohio. I'm just waiting for applause. Just, okay. Ohio is a great place to live. 
for four or five months out of the year. When November hits until about end of April, there, there is this thing called winter. And, and it's cold in winter and it's gray. And I don't expect you to really understand this metaphor that I'm using as we're baking here in 80 degree heat. But around end of February, beginning of March, you never see it coming, but there will just be right smack dab in the middle of winter, there will be a 60 degree day. Now, to you, that doesn't sound like much. Here, 60 degrees means we have scarves and jackets. But when you've been living in 20 degree weather, a 60 degree day is incredible. And, 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 and thousands or millions of just pasty bodies come flooding out of their homes. And, and very often, there'll still be snow on the ground. But for that day, it's winter before that day and it's winter after that day. But that day, it's spring. And it's usually just one day right in the middle of winter. And the reason we enjoy it is because it wakes us up to what's coming. And if you'll permit the analogy, the resurrection of Jesus, according to Paul, is like a spring day in the middle of the long winter of human history. That the resurrection of Jesus is what's coming now bursting forth right in the middle of this world. That is God's new creation happening right here. It is the assurance that God has not given up on the world. It is the assurance that God intends to purge the world, that there will come a time in human history when he will just say enough. Enough violence, enough war, enough greed, enough lust, enough disease, enough sickness, enough disability, enough. And he will remake the world the way he originally intended it to be. And then he will dwell with people in resurrected bodies, all of those in Christ, resurrected bodies with them, new heavens, new earth forever. So the resurrection of Jesus is a taste of what's coming, according to Paul. But not only that, it is the defeat of death itself. Later on in the same chapter, he says, when our bodies move from being perishable to being clothed with the imperishable, and when they move from being mortal to being clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then Paul quotes, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Can you imagine if a group of people actually believed that death, the worst thing that happened to you, the worst thing that could happen to you, actually isn't the end of the story. Cancer isn't the end of the story. Disability isn't the end of the story. What would happen if a whole group of people believed? See, this is why the earliest Christians went cheerfully to their martyrdoms. They actually took this resurrection seriously and believed. See, resuscitation, if all Jesus was, if he was dead for a while and he came back to life and he died again, that wouldn't send anybody into the hope of resurrection. The hope of resurrection is that Jesus died, was physically dead, physically alive, and is alive now forevermore. And those in him share in that same destiny. That is why the earliest Christians would go singing hymns to their deaths. Now for us, hey, we know we're scientific, right? Dead people stay dead. We got that down. I think even they knew that then. But there's a sense in which Paul says, if this is true, then death has lost its 
sting. And that this hope that we all pass along in memorial and funeral services, there's actually something to it. And I've seen this, just a shadow of this. My dad died in 2007. My dad uh, was a follower of Jesus, but he was terrified, absolutely terrified of dying. It literally, from the moment he was 50 on, this was all he could think about, totally paralyzed by the fear of death. And he was certain that how he would die would be this gruesome, prolonged, agonizing death. And he was just horrified. And he would talk to me all the time about it. My dad was diagnosed in his early 60s with bladder cancer that metastasized to the rest of his body. We soon realized there was no hope, but he was still in the hospital because they thought, well, maybe we can slow down the progression of the disease. My brother and I had flown in from different parts of the country and we went to see my dad one morning and the strangest thing happened. You have to, you just, I wish I could convey how fearful he was of this. And we came in one morning and my dad was sobbing. My dad was 6'5". My dad was a homicide detective. My dad didn't sob very often. And he was just a weeping mess. And my brother and I came in and we said, well, what's going on? And he said, I'm so sorry, you guys. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What? 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 Dad? He said, I met Jesus last night in a dream. And it was so incredible. And he was so real that I didn't want to come back. I didn't want to come back to you for the first time in my life. I didn't want to be alive. I was excited to be with him. Now, you can say, well, that's just the drugs talking. Maybe. Maybe that was some sort of, you know, neurochemical misfire. But for the next couple of days, the last remaining days of his life, He was a different guy. And we can chalk it up to randomness, coincidence, wishful thinking. But you didn't see the before and the after. I firmly believe when my dad, and this is how he died. He was so terrified it was going to be awful. Here's how he died. He took a breath. He exhaled a breath. And then he stopped. Utterly at peace. My brother and I were just floored. Because... What my dad said after that dream, it, death no longer held any fear, any sting, that he felt like he'd seen the resurrected Jesus and it was going to be okay. Now again, imagine if you believe that, not as wish fulfillment, but as deep abiding hope. See, a community that actually believed that, they'd be pretty courageous, wouldn't they? They'd be pretty humble, they'd be pretty generous, they'd be pretty bold, Right? Because you can't touch people that aren't afraid of dying. Death is, according to the Bible, the last enemy. It's not just a natural part of life. It's not just a phase you pass through. This is the last enemy. You were meant to be in relationship with people and had never have that interrupted. Death is an invader. And so resuscitation doesn't defeat death. It just postpones it. Resurrection defeats it. Because it simply says... As the scriptures say about this Jesus, death no longer has any grip on him. So resurrection, Paul says, it's the first fruits of what God intends to do the whole world. He did it right here in the middle of history. Secondly, he says, it's the defeat of death. But then, and this is what's so fascinating, the new birth, the resurrection that's associated with Easter Sunday. 
This became an image that Paul would use to describe an individual's journey with Jesus. That they would literally talk about an old self that was dead and buried and a new self that had been presented. In fact, Paul says it this way in a different letter. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. So don't miss what he's doing. What he's saying is, listen, yes, resurrection, we would argue something that historically makes sense. You can't explain it and the faith of these disciples any other way. Proclaiming the death of the guy that was crucified in the city where he was crucified, saying, no, this guy's alive, would have been pretty easy to defeat. Later writers look at this and they say, no, 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 this was actually the first taste of the cosmic rescue operation God had intended all along. And anybody who puts their confidence in this Jesus joins in the new creation here and now. In other words, there is an old self that can be dead and gone and a new self that is resurrected in its place. And so Paul uses this language. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. And we believe, no laughing down there. This is church. And we believe that this story can be anybody's story. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done or where you've came from. Anybody that calls upon the name of this Jesus receives new life. One of the clearest expressions of this is baptism. Now you might be envying the people that are going to get baptized here in a moment. But we've got some folks that are going to be baptized. Now, baptism is an ancient Christian picture of the story of the work of Jesus in the lives of men and women. That Paul says in one of his letters that, that going into the water is a picture of being of being crucified with Jesus, having your old self be put to death. And being under the water is a picture of that old self being buried. And coming out from the water is a picture of the new self being born. And so we believe resurrection is an historical thing. We believe resurrection is the first fruits of what's coming. But we also believe resurrection is a promise that is given to each and every human person here and now. That your mistakes, your failures, your sins, your screw-ups no longer have the last word over you.